And if you don't do it, you're fired. And if I see you do it again, you're gone. And anyone on this crew does it. That's it. And you too. And you too. And you. Don't you ever do it again. Welcome to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting to you here on the Big Talker 106.7 FM, broadcasting out of Wilmington, North Carolina. You can uh, listen to us all throughout the week if you miss our voices here on the Saturday program, every single Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, by heading on over to our website, ConsumerChoiceRadio.com. I'm one half of your host, Yael Ososki, broadcasting to you from the Christmas Miracle City of Vienna, Austria. Uh, the setting of all of the terrible um, holiday movies, apparently, that are set in Europe. And I'm joined, as always, by my trusty colleague, David Clement, who's out there in Toronto. And uh, Toronto is not the setting of many movies nowadays, but it surely is uh, where they're filming them. So, David, how goes it? Yeah, yeah uh, it's cold, so it sucks. Um, it's officially, like, full-blown cold winter now. So, uh, yeah, and it. it not great, but, you know, keeping our heads up, um, trying to figure out what we are going to do over the holiday season, given that you can't really do much. Um, and, yeah, yeah, so Christmas is going to be a little different. Um, Festivus is going to be a little different for those who celebrate celebrate Festivus for the rest of us. Um, but, yeah, you know you what? Might, you might need to explain Festivus for some of our listeners who are not as caught up on the the pop culture uh, celebration of Festivus. So Festivus is a holiday that was created by the father of Frank Cost- or the father of George Costanza, Frank Costanza in the um, in the popular show Seinfeld. And basically what it is is you get your family around the table, uh, you have Festivus dinner around the Festivus pole and then you engage in the airing of grievances which is where you tell your family members how much they have disappointed you uh, over the last year. Um, so it's quite the, quite the holiday, quite the holiday. One of my quite favorites. The li- quite the list, quite the yes. list this year. <laughs> quite the list. Um, yeah, so for anyone who was an old school Seinfeld fan, they'll certainly get the reference. Uh, but if and was, you- he, was George uh, the son, was he not trying to get out of some obligation? Uh, so he's like, oh, you know, so we're celebrating Festivus at my house. Was it? Was that not it? Yes. So basically he gets a Festivus card and Jerry is like explaining the story about how George's dad made up this holiday and he's all embarrassed and he hated it as a kid because after you do the airing of grievances, you have to participate in feats of strength, um, which is usually some sort of wrestling match, which of course, if you watch the show, George was not particularly well suited for. So it's him trying to get out of, celebrating Festivus and of course George's dad is all over it and then Kramer is all excited about Festivus because Kramer is the the weird character who likes anything that's weird but um yeah very excited to celebrate the holiday season uh Merry Christmas to uh those who are celebrating Happy Hanukkah to those and Happy uh Festivus for the rest of us there you go so yeah it's um I guess we can also put Seinfeld on the recommended watch list uh in our consumer corner which we'll do uh, towards the end but first david i wanted to um tune up for the listeners this amazing interview that we put together um someone who's been self-styled or who has been called by various newspapers the emperor uh, we're talking to jeff whaling he is uh, a business executive he's uh, the chair of the national hemp association and also happens to be president of Collective Growth Corporation, uh, one of the largest hemp companies in the world. Uh, He's partnering there with Bruce Linton, who's a former cannabis executive from Canada, Um, also a fellow Canadian, and uh, we were able to chat with him about uh, what some people might not understand about the differences between normal marijuana and hemp, 
Hemp is a totally different product. It's a totally different market. And he believes it has totally different potential uh, that could be worth billions of dollars. So that was, that was uh, it's awesome to get him here on the program, David. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I won't give Jeff too much more of an introduction, but um, just a fascinating conversation about what else can be done with hemp and its potential from everything to from it, everything from building materials to climate change. Um, so a great, great conversation, and we'll we'll get Jamie to run that. Uh, so Jamie, play that it's interview. It's business time. It's business time. It's business. It's business time. I know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh, it's business. It's business time. Hello, and welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio here on the Big Talker 106.7 FM. We're very delighted for our next guest on the program. We're speaking with Jeff Whaling. He's a business executive, chair of the National Hemp Association, a co-founder and president of Collective Growth Corporation, and the man you need to get on the phone if you want to learn all about uh, the magical qualities and uh, everything we can do with the hemp plant. So, Jeff, thanks so much for coming on the program. Good to be here. Happy holidays to you and to your listeners. Thank you so much. Uh, so we wanted to get you on because uh, David and I have often spoken about, in general terms, cannabis um, for, for various reasons. We've talked about CBD. We've talked about the rules uh, for recreational and medicinal. But we haven't really talked about hemp, the actual plant, and uh, all the different industrial uses that most people don't realize uh, there was a huge uh, reform with the farm bill uh, that changed a lot of things in the United States. Uh, David and I, we've been trying to follow this as uh, advocates, but uh, to actually have someone who's been helping spearhead uh, much of that policy, or at least put it in a more uh, consumer and market-friendly decision, we thought we'd, we'd talk to you. So tell us, uh, what is uh, sort of the status right now of, of hemp, the hemp industry, and uh, where do you see this going, and how will it impact uh, individual people and maybe companies to come? Um, there's a, a lot to uh, kind of pack into that response. So, um, you know, hemp now is a federally legal commodity crop. Um, it is uh, language contained within the 2018 Agricultural Improvement Act. Um, ironically, it is the only legislation that uh, both Senator Schumer and McConnell have agreed upon. Um, but at the end of the day, they know the benefits that this new commodity crop can bring to the, uh, the American landscape. Um, and we all know that farmers need a helping hand. Uh, so uh, hemp is now um, a crop that we can reintroduce to our landscape. That being said, um, it's going to be a challenge because this crop has been uh, always part of the cannabis marijuana conversation. People tend to think that hemp is marijuana, uh, and to clarify, hemp is part of the cannabis uh, family, but it is not marijuana. Um, so hemp, in order to be designated um, a commodity crop, has to have less than 0.3% THC, that psychoactive element that is contained and beneficial in marijuana. Uh, hemp cannot have any of that. Um, so. Uh, trying to educate um, not only consumers, but farmers, um, but absolutely every federal agency and every large corporation that, oh, by the way, hemp is legal um, and it is no different than corn today. Uh, so, you know, going from nothing to where we are today uh, is a big step, but there are many other big steps that we have to take because there is no harvesting equipment, there is no processing or decortication equipment. Um, to take this uh, very valuable 20-foot crop uh, apart and to use it for everything that it can present to uh, consumers and to the marketplace. And, and on that note, so I know this because actually I had the, the, the pleasure of hearing you make some of these, make, explain this in New York City um, at an event we were both at, but would you walk through for our listeners what else hemp can actually be used for beyond extracting CBD and using that for whatever purposes you want for CBD, whether it's pet food or personal ingestion, what else can hemp do or what else can hemp be used for? 
Yeah, so David, I think uh, it, the easy way to explain that is kind of to break down this crop. Uh, first of all, as I said, it is um, a crop that can grow 20 feet tall in 110 days. It is planted the very same way that corn is planted. Um, so late spring um, and harvested early fall. Um, it is an annual crop, uh, but let's break down that uh, 21 foot crop. The top 18 inches of this crop is seed. Um, and certainly um, the seed itself is 100% digestible protein and a perfectly balanced omega-3, 6, and 9. Uh, that seed contains 30% oil. So if you cold press the seed, you don't get CBD oil. That comes from extracting the plant material and leaves. Uh, you get oil as you would instantly. It becomes a, a, a salad dressing um, or a low saute um, oil. Uh, if you refine that further, it becomes the base elements for, for body care and cosmetics. It's a natural moisturizer. Refine that oil further. Uh, you come up with industrial lubricants and refine it further. It becomes the base for resins and paints. What you have left over once you cold press that uh, seed is the casings. Um, and that can be uh, refined, be 100% protein. Um, and that protein is probably the best protein on the planet. Um, we all hear about plant-based foods right now. There, a lot of those are containing pea protein and there's an aftertaste um, as part of that pea protein being incorporated, which means they have to add other things to take that taste out. Um, hemp protein does not have any taste. Um, so it is 100% digestible and a perfect protein. Refine that, those casings even further, you get the base for gluten-free flour. And that's just the beginning, the top 18 inches. We talked about CBD, it's extracted from the plant material. Um, so the leaves in this case would be where you could extract uh, CBD. But then there is the rest of this stock. Um, it has two major components, the fiber and the inner core. Uh, the fiber, we all will remember that fiber was once used for hemp rope. Um, and it was used for canvas for sales. Um, the US military were the biggest consumers of hemp. Uh, but it is also part of the history of America. Most people are not aware that Betsy Ross's flag, the original um, flag that she produced was produced on uh, hemp fabric, uh, that drafts of the Declaration of Independence were written on hemp paper. Um, it was the largest source of paper um, in early times. Uh, and certainly, uh, you know, most of the new um, uh, states that were coming on board, like Pennsylvania, the very first act in Pennsylvania was the Hemp Act. And if you wanted to be a patriot of this nation, you were required to grow hemp. And that hemp was used for fuel, for uh, food, for clothing, um, and for feed. Um, so it's not like this crop has not been around. But today, that fiber on the outer side um, has the same properties as copper. It holds an electric charge. It is as strong as steel. Um, so if you look at things that are using, uh, you know, materials from the earth, uh, oil products, we can replace all of those plastics with hemp. You can build an automobile. Certainly BMW is one of the leaders in this space, but most of the European manufacturers have been using hemp over the years for headliners and carpeting. Uh, but now we've got companies that are looking at building batteries uh, with hemp and replacing uh, lithium batteries with, with hemp. The sky is the absolute limit for this. Then the inner woody core um, instantly can become one of the best animal beddings or landscaping mulches, uh, but it also can be used to make plastics, bioplastics. Um, and last but not least, you can build an entire house out of hemp. That woody core mixed with lime and water holds a form and uh, it uh, has an R factor of two for every inch of thickness. It is not a structural um, material, but it certainly is an insulation factor. So um, I'm now starting to see very creative um, developments of Lego bricks that look like um, a hemp building block that people are doing. So, you know, as we are, uh, meeting all of the standards because there are no standards for any of these things right now in America. Mm -hmm. We have to get them passed, whether it be with the FDA or the Department of Energy or the Standards Association. You know, people often say, well, it's legal now. Why can't I do this? Well, 
you know, there are rules that um, we need to abide by and there are responsibilities the government have. Um, and certainly we need to work with them to get this thing passed and move forward. And as you know, I can go on about this. <laughs> We're speaking with Jeff Whaling of uh, Collective Growth Corporation and the National Hemp Association here on Consumer Choice Radio and the Big Talker. Uh, fancy enough, we've got three uh, three Canadians on the phone, two dual nationals of uh, the states in Canada, which is awesome. I did do a little bit of research there, Jeff, and uh, found out that you are known uh, there there where you're living uh, in, in Pennsylvania as the Hemperer, and uh, you've been called an evangelist for hemp. And I think uh, one thing that, that David and I, you know, we mentioned before is that we do meet a lot of elected officials, and, you know, we've talked a little bit about the differences between cannabis, THC, CBD, all of this, and then enter hemp. And, you know, this history that you just mentioned uh, is just lost on people. Do you think that is the the single biggest sort of barrier to broader use or expansion of of hemp? Or is it just that we just don't have uh, any of the foundationals? We don't have the equipment that you're talking about. We don't have the the processing plants. Is, Is it more because of attitudes or is it actual just capital that we don't have right now? You know, what I realized when I step back and look at where we were and where we are today, um, a couple things come to mind. Um, you know, this is a generational issue. Um, the reality is, is that most uh, legislators, uh, particularly members of the U.S. Senate, are of a much older generation. Um, and, you know, hats off to uh, the DuPonts and William Randolph Hearst for creating what I believe is one of the most successful marketing campaigns ever introduced. I re- remind people, and certainly members of your audience won't know that most people in the 1930s and 40s got all of their news from the theaters that they would go to every weekend. There would be news tone flashes. Those theaters were owned by William Randolph Hearst, and at the opening of the you know the major cinema event, there would be a, a flash that would say, save your children from hemp and marijuana. Well, that has stuck with most people who are a little older than me, um, and most definitely with those people who are elected officials. I remember having a discussion with Chuck Grassley, who uh, wasn't really convinced that uh, hemp was different than marijuana. He thought that this was just a gateway. Um, and he asked me why most young people were supportive of hemp. And I said, well, to be honest, Senator, um, they no longer have to get their information from you. Uh, they have a smartphone um, and they can read and they know about the sustainability. They know about how it can help improve the planet, that it consumes more CO2 than any other crop on the planet and it needs no pesticides or fertilizers. That's important to this generation. So that is kind of the first issue. Um, But, you know, most universities could not touch hemp to research it. Um, And because it wasn't federally legal and they really threatened, um, you know, all of the federal funding that they got if they touched it, their chief counsels wouldn't allow them to get involved in researching hemp, even though the 2014 Farm Bill allowed for the research of hemp. Um, and now that it's uh, legal, I am now starting to see corporate America come on board. And certainly, um, you know, our partnership with New Holland Agriculture is a good example of that. Um, you know, they would not talk to us three years ago um, because legally they couldn't. It wasn't a legal crop. Well, now that it is, they're all starting to focus on this. And, um, you know, we're on our way. I really do believe that 2021 is going to be the year of hemp in America. And, and on that note of, of why 2021 is going to be a year of hemp, is that just because of the work that has been done in the lead up to now, or how much of it is reliant on this incoming administration? It, do you have any inclination as to where a Biden administration will go in, in, in this regard, if there's any maybe hurdles or barriers that still exist? Well, certainly, you know, I've, I, I've worked with both uh, the Obama administration and the Trump administration. Obviously, we made huge leaps uh, for the crop uh, with the Trump administration. Obviously, the president signed the Farm Bill into law, so he gets the credit for this. Um, and, you know, I've been asked recently about, you know, Secretary Vilsack being nominated to take over USDA again. What does that mean for him? Well, I remind people that I started with Secretary Vilsack. Um, but his hands were tied at the time because it wasn't federally legal. No federal agency could touch it. Um, I remember the very first guidance that came out of USDA. I worked with the chief counsel under Vilsack. 
the fact that NIFA, the National Institute of Food and Agriculture, after five years um, of wanting to do so, came out two weeks ago uh, offering a grant program of up to $150 million for research to advance and specifically inviting um, applications to advance the hemp industry. I mean, that is uh, telling to me that, yes, 2021 is going to uh, really help us. There's a lot of research that has to be done. There's huge potential. But, you know, let's not just rely on anecdotal evidence as, you know, we are in the CBD industry and others. Let's prove it out so that big industry can start to adopt it. I remind people that, you know, farmers are not going to grow a crop if they don't know where a market is. And on the other extreme, uh, the large end users, the auto industry, um, uh, you know, home builders and others, they are not even going to invest in a pilot program unless they know where that supply chain comes from. So it's not a chicken and egg issue, it's a scrambled egg issue. And that's why my partner Bruce Linton and I created Collective Growth because you know, we are believers. Um, certainly I've learned this all along the way. So we are quite frankly putting our money where our mouth is and bringing a lot of shareholders along with us to build that supply chain. Um, and certainly um, I think that we're gonna see more and more people um, you know, invest in this space to build this commodity crop. And you, you mentioned uh, working with uh, Bruce Linton, who's uh, also with you at Collective Growth Corporation. And uh, you know, from what I can tell on the financial wires, uh, you guys have been pretty busy. Um, Bruce, if anyone uh, would remember, was in all the first uh, sort of uh, videos and images we were seeing of uh, cannabis uh, being legalized in various stores and things. And, you know, it was really this grand experiment that, uh, you know, David and I have quibbled a lot about uh, how regulations have been done there when it comes to uh, the recreational market. But for the industrial uses, um, I mean, you guys have really uh, opened up an entirely new area that uh, I know that just reading the financial press the last couple of weeks, uh, things are really, you know, we need some kind of dynamic change. Uh, certainly, we've all been sitting at home the last couple of months. Uh, many people have been without work. Uh, the various industries that we thought would be booming forever are, are kind of slowing. Others are growing. Uh, how do you see this sort of, yes, 2021 year of hemp, but, you know, what is the next big step that you think uh, the industry needs uh, to make sure that this can be a, a good sustainable crop that we can use uh, basically in every industry? Well, you know, I, there's a couple of things. Obviously, money is going to be very important to that equation. Um, and certainly that's where Bruce will, and I will do our job. We have not, um, you know, we haven't abandoned hemp. Uh, we did a transaction last week that resulted in us uh, working to bring a LIDAR autonomous driving technology to market. Uh, people are like, well, what's that got to do with hemp? Isn't that what you set out to do? What we realized after looking at maybe 170 uh, companies around the world is that um, the hemp industry isn't large enough to participate in the financial instrument that, that Bruce and I um, established. Um, but we, we've decided that you know, there are different ways to approach this. When we were approached by one of the big underwriters to see whether or not we would be interested in participating with them, we looked at this transaction and looked at who some of the players are. Um, and when we saw that BMW, um, you know, obviously as a world um, OEM and Magna International Canadian company that is the largest tier one supplier to the automotive industry supplying 12 OEMs, um, we decided not only to undertake some more research, uh, because at the end of the day, we have a fiduciary responsibility to our shareholders um, to bring them a good transaction and a return. Uh, but then we also realized that the benefit for hemp was that the biggest end users are the automotive industry. Um, so this would line us up with, um, uh, with definitely with Magna International, the gentlemen who oversee their technology division, who was responsible for the Innovis LiDAR development. Uh, for the previous two years during this process became the CEO of Magna. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we think that this is the right move. Uh, we will, you know, we see it as a bit of a detour for us, but we will be right back on the road and refocusing on hemp um, and we won't let the industry down. And on that note of, of automakers and hemp and the relationship there, I know you mentioned things like liners, but to what other extent can you incorporate 
the plant into the automotive industry? And if you could just enlighten our listeners so that they can actually understand its multi-use in terms of when we look at something we recognize quite easily, which is a car, where else can we insert this, this technology and this agricultural product? Yeah, so, um, you know, most people, when they think of, when they hear me say about uh, hemp being used in a car, they think of a one-off kind of, you know, funny looking car. Um, <laughs> I just have to tell them that if they see a BMW i-Series, uh, whether it be the i3 or i8, which is BMW's all electric vehicles, um, and now they're, um, they're five series, they see any of those passing them in the street, they contain hemp. Um, the Mercedes, um, C-Class has got huge um, amounts of uh, hemp in it. Um, and, and I do also have to kind of uh, say that BMW is backed away from hemp an awful lot because their supply chain isn't available. Um, so they have it in small components in some of them, but they obviously would like to use it. Um, the, you could make um, certainly doors, complete door systems, complete interiors, all of the, the seats, um, and because hemp, ironically, because of COVID-19, but because hemp is one of the best antimicrobial um, fibers on the planet, um, we now are getting people asking in the automotive industry whether or not it could be put into headrest. Um, so, you know, there are lots of uses that it, it can, but what I think is probably uh, one of the biggest opportunities is using hemp for uh, the hemp fiber for electronics. Uh, nanosheet technologies, um, and for carrying that, um, you know, that uh, that current or, or technology. Uh, so it has to be explored. But I think that more and more people, you know, I've also come from a background in the automotive industry through motorsports. I know that the automotive industry usually develops these new technologies and luxury brands, and then they slowly come down. Um, you know, to consumer cars. Um, I, I have to say I'm disappointed that despite the fact that Ford, Henry Ford, built the very first hemp sedan in 1939, 1940, uh, Ford has not yet incorporated um, natural fibers or Henry Ford's um, vision into their vehicles. Uh, but I participated in a panel recently on the battery industry. Um, the global head of Ford's uh, electrification was there. One of the questions I asked him is, you know, how are you going to change the mindset within Ford uh, so that they will look at the benefits of natural fibers um, over the traditional process of saying, this is the piece that we need. We need to have it made to these standards, and it has to be the cheapest possible way uh, to keep costs down. Um, and he said that certainly it's an internal um, you know, work in progress, but that's where we need to get. So going back to your earlier question about 2021, the benefits of uh, what I hear from the Harris um, group within the Biden-Harris uh, transition team is that they really are going to be focusing an awful lot on climate change. They've asked us to look at 12 of the policy areas under climate change that they're going to focus on. What can hemp do in those areas? I think 10 of those areas we can participate in. And if we have if we start to see them introducing regulations, and none of us, all of us love regulations, but as they have in Europe, um, the European Union has mandated the automotive industry to reduce their carbon footprint by 8% starting in 2025. Um, if that happens, um, then certainly you're going to see uh, American-grown fibers being incorporated into the vehicles. I certainly know that the free trade agreement uh, between Canada, Mexico, and the U.S. Uh, includes a, a requirement that uh, more American-grown fiber is used in the vehicles produced under that uh, treaty, uh, but doesn't specify hemp. Um, I'm going to do my job to make sure that hemp will um, be there. Yeah, I love that. And uh, Jeff, I don't want to monopolize all your time. I do have um, another last question here. Very important, I think, for your dual role, because um, as we mentioned, you are a business executive, and I'd love to talk about Formula E all day, but that's another time. Uh, but you know, you've also been between the world of sort of advocacy, nonprofits, um, you know, working on behalf of the entire hemp industry and not just your company, and then also being in the business world. What advice would you give for, uh, let's say, youthful um, <clears throat> Canadian uh, activists who? would like to see, you know, the development of this industry and want to have the best sort of regulatory 
uh, system to promulgate it? Uh, where should we be putting our focus? What should be sort of our articulation or our communication? What do you think that uh, the business industry would need in order to succeed on the policy side? I think that uh, people who are uh, interested in seeing this commodity crop uh, advance, uh, do your homework. Um, not that I'm here to promote you know, membership of the National Hemp Association. Uh, you do not need to be a member to log into our website and to research hemp. Um, but you know, know the facts. Um, there is a lot of discussion out there about what hemp can be and what it can't be. Um, but a lot of that needs to be proven out. Um, educate yourself. There are lots of uh, resources out there. Another really good one is the Congressional uh, Research uh, Group's um, uh, review of the hemp industry and its potential. Um, and you know what I've encouraged people to look at is that uh, a lot of young people today are looking at new technologies. Um, and I am seeing technologies being developed that are not two years from now, they're five and 10 years from now. Um, I see that Thomas Jefferson University, um, and Jefferson is what it's called today, after a merger with the Pennsylvania Textile Com uh, University, they are developing textiles that also have biometrics in them, and they're 100% hemp. Um, so it's, you know, and it's washable. I mean, it really is, uh, usable piece of, of fabric. Um, and that is the potential of hemp because it absorbs energy, it stores it, you can do some uh, amazing things. I tell uh, people uh, when I speak that five years from now, we will still be researching this crop um, and slowly starting to build an industry. 10 years from now, we will be well on our way to a multi-billion dollar economic impact that will touch all walks of life uh, in America. Um, so, you know, anything from food and textiles to fuels and energy to the automotive industry to housing, um, you know, hemp will be there. And 20 years from now, when I'm long gone, uh, people will say, well, what was the big deal? And, and thank you. Thank you so much for that. And obviously hats off to you for your work um, on the advocacy side, as well as the business side of trying to make that a reality. So Jeff, thank you again for joining us on Consumer Choice Radio, and we will certainly hope to have you back at a later date with, uh, with some exciting developments in the space. Great, again, happy holidays. Thanks thank so you. much, Ace. back to Consumer Choice Radio here on the Big Talker 106.7 FM. Amazing conversation with Jeff Whaling. Uh, there's definitely a lot of stuff that I learned. Uh, and it really started to, I, I don't know, it really got a lot of gears um, spurned off in my brain of, of all the potentials that you could do. And, and just to think that, you know, we've been so busy. And I would say I'm guilty of this, David, is whenever we're discussing cannabis and, you know, ideas about changing the laws, you know, I had the, the idea of hemp kind of there, you know, it was, let's say it was in the car with me, uh, but it was not in the driver's seat. But talking to, to Jeff and the potential and uh, the companies that he's now investing in and the amount of money they're raising, uh, I really do think this is, it's something that maybe we should have paid a lot more attention to. This hemp thing seems like it's going to be huge. Yeah, and and it'll be interesting to see if um, to see if let's say we have a conversation with Jeff in a year's time, how much progress we've made, because it re it really does have the potential. I mean, I love the building and construction and um, like hard product side of that because we obviously whenever we whenever people think of hemp, they more often than not confuse it with cannabis. So they think of it as like a consumer product. At the very most, they're like, oh well. You can, um, you can get CBD from hemp, and that has all sorts of benefits for you. Um, but not a lot of people. I do remember. Yeah. I do remember. Uh, <laughs> Ron Paul got up on the House floor uh, in the House of Representatives, and he said it was a travesty that hemp uh, was declared illegal 
and it had been illegal mm-hmm. for many decades. And he said, you know, this is not the kind of thing that you can get high from. You'd have to smoke a joint the size of a telephone pole to get stoned off of that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And again, we don't want to do kidding on, on the, um, you know, the, the narcotic principles of um, part of the, the cannabis and the THC, because that's totally separate from from hemp. I mean, there's so many derivatives of various plants that we use with everything. Uh, but as Jeff was saying, because it got tied up in the reefer madness of the 1930s and the Dupont and uh, everything with William Randolph Hearst and a lot of the yellow journalism, you know, this mm-hmm. is all lumped in and essentially stagnated an economy that, you know, has the potential to be huge. And what I really like, like what you said about the building materials, you know, we've had many tariffs that have been thrown up in the last couple of years. Uh, there's a lot of arguments about free trade. A lot of building materials in North America are sourced overseas, you know, whether it be in uh, in in jungles in this in South America or steel from China. Uh, there's definitely a lot of great softwood lumber up in Canada. You know, just imagine if there was domestic hemp production that could mm-hmm. replace all this stuff, be way more efficient. Uh, then we kind of need the greenies, you know, to come along for the market revolution. Well, yeah, and I mean, what's interesting here is it, uh, it, it has the opportunity to kill two birds with one stone, um, depending on what, um, what issue we're looking to tackle, right? Like if we're looking for lighter weight materials to make things more climate friendly, or we're looking for um, sourcing for inputs that, has, that requires less upkeep or less water, um, all of those things really drive the conversation in terms of oh okay well you can you can do you can create hempcrete which is like hemp concrete um, and then it has all of these other benefits so it's yes you you have building supplies and then it's also building supplies without some of the negative externalities of alternatives so uh, exciting super exciting to see where this will go um, but again I don't, as Jeff noted it's going to take a lot of education to remind people um, or to inform them of what this actually means. It's not, um, it's not just a bunch of stoners wanting to legalize hemp. This is certainly yeah. more, uh, more complicated than that. And if, if we're, you know, we're policy a- advocates, we've been researching this stuff and the, you know, the, the war on drugs and all this stuff for many years. And still for us at times, it, it's difficult to, to make these distinctions and to these differences. Um, our colleague, Bill Vietz is, you know, discussing a lot of stuff about cannabis, you know, smart policy on cannabis across Europe. And like, they're not even thinking about the potentials of hemp necessarily like in the United States or in Canada. And I I can just only imagine, you know, once their, their eyes light up, it's like, Hey, you guys don't need, you know, these billions in agriculture subsidies because you can grow this stuff easily in the South of France, or you can grow this easily in Italy. You know, you don't have to worry about all this other stuff. So, yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff there. Um, if you do want to watch the interview, uh, you can go on the Consumer Choice Center YouTube page. So just put in Consumer Choice Radio uh, in the YouTubes. It's also linked in the description for the podcast version, which is also on ConsumerChoiceRadio.com. You'll find it there. Uh, awesome interview with Jeff. And, of course, he showed up to the meeting with a Canadian hat. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he was uh, he was appropriately dressed for a conversation with two of his fellow Canucks. Yeah, that was um, fun. That was yes. fun. All right, David, I don't know um, what's uh, sort of been uh, scratching your, your head here the last week. There's been a lot of different news items uh, in, in the United States, at least. We do have Senator Mitch McConnell, Senate Majority Leader, who has affirmed and uh, congratulated uh, President-elect Joe Biden, the Electoral mm-hmm. College did meet this week, which finalized that. Um, I have nothing more to say, but thank God it's over. Uh, forward. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to just stop talking about it. The real test will be how much, how invested is the media in following Trump around and continuing to report on his craziness? Well, I really yes. hope. I hope that that goes away. I mean, obviously, he's the president. He's the most newsworthy person in the world right now. But when he is not, will the hysteria that surrounds Donald Trump go away? Um, I hope so, because, I mean, 
you, you, you've spent enough time at my house, Yael. I am a pretty rabid consumer of the news. And I can Good say God, I got CNN on at all times in the background, <laughs> trying to eat breakfast, trying to put jelly on your toast, and you got Wolf Blitzer in your ear. <laughs> exactly. But I can say that it got out of hand over the last four years, and it got exhausting. Like, I want to see some hurricane coverage. I want to see. <laughs> oh, you want to uh, see a disappearing plane in Malaysia? I, I want to see what else is going on yeah. besides the fact that the press secretary is obviously lying through her teeth. Like I need something more than, than that. And so I hopefully don't, I don't know. fingers crossed, fingers crossed. We can go back to what was normal before. And it's not this 24 hour a day news cycle of, Oh my God, did you see that Trump did this? Um, yeah, I, I do think, though, and we knew that from the early Trump days, you know, Trump is gold for ratings. Uh, you can, I mean, Trump should just go out and say, look, uh, I want to uh, take all the credit for the huge boost in subscriptions to the New York Times uh, and all the ratings of all TV shows related to news. Uh, it's basically because of that. And um, I would say because of the time we, we spent talking about him on Consumer Choice Radio, but... Uh, I think I'm done, and we're going to go to our next topic. How's that? <laughs> yeah. There you perfect. go. No more oxygen. Um, so a new topic, new topic, our boy Mayor Pete is getting the tap. Um, he is going to be heading up the uh, – he'll be the cabinet minister and res uh, responsible for transportation. So he's no which, longer Mayor Pete. He'll be Secretary Pete. Yes, Secretary Pete. Uh, what the What the transportation – um, what that position entails, I don't actually really know. Um, I saw some very good funny memes of Mayor Pete's face, and it's like, uh, Secretary of Transportation, and then it was a quote, and he's like, <laughs> cargo beep beep, train go choo-choo. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, the, uh, the Barna Transportation, yeah, you know, it is a, a fairly opaque uh, department. I think there are a lot of people in the market urbanism crowd who just call it the Department of Highways, because uh, yeah, a lot yeah. of it is about federal funding of interstates and highways and uh, cars. Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff that are under the Department of Transportation that are important. The FAA, um, yeah, you know, yeah. many of these uh, different organizations that I mean, they're all like three and four uh, letter agencies that nobody's ever heard of, but are actually very important. I don't mm -hmm. know. I I actually see this more as a kind of uh, classic political move of yeah. You you just you know somebody who worked along and might be a threat down the line. You just kind of give them a, a lackluster position uh, to ensure they don't you know stir things up. Though it's kind of like when Trump put Nikki Haley at the UN. Yeah, kind which of. Which was cool, but I think everybody saw it for what it was. They didn't want her to lead the Never Trumpers, so they gave her that appointment, and then she kind of just kept doing that. And it's not that, um, you know, Pete Buttigieg, that's what we're talking about, by the way, Buttigieg, it's not as if he was leading any kind of opposition to Biden, but you can tell that likely at the first or second faltering of something in the Biden administration, Mayor Pete would be there. You know, he won the Iowa caucus, I think. I don't know if the... The app company messed that up again. I don't remember. I don't even remember. The, do you remember this? This app that <laughs> that uh, went berserk and they didn't really know who won the Iowa caucus at first. And, and I don't know. I think the real winner and all the momentum that Mayor Pete had just went out the window. But in the end, he did yeah, win. He, yeah, he did. And then he was the first to really rally the consolidation. So he, he dropped and said, I'm supporting Biden. Um, so I guarantee you that there was some deal in that, right, where he says, okay, oh, Joel, hi, gonna... you want to be higher than secretary of transportation. Uh, so maybe oh. just cabinet, cabinet level position. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he, he led the consolidation. I mean, I, I'm, I generally like Mayor Pete. I think he's one of the good Democrats. Um, but that being said, I'm not sure. He's a market Dem. That's what, yeah. He, I kind of put him in the market Dem category loosely with like Jared Polis, who's probably my favorite Democrat. He's the governor of, of a, of Colorado. He's, I think the best uh, Democrat out there. Um, Andrew Yang could probably fall into that category depending on the day. Um, so, yeah, but I don't know what, like, 
how does that worldview impact transportation? I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, it's uh, a lot about funding and. The only yeah. way that he can really rise up is if he comes up with some innovative, cool pet project, hyperloops around the country or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Maybe he can work with Elon Musk and they can figure that out. Yeah, well, Elon Musk is uh, one of the many people who is, uh, who's departing the shores of California and moving to Texas. Uh, he's. Uh, yeah. I don't know if it's just him or all of his facilities. I mean, obviously, they have a lot of stuff in California, Tesla, um, but and SpaceX and things, but... He's uh, he's one of the latest to to make the move. I'm I don't like the narrative though of um, we're leaving California. Everybody go to Texas. I don't like that idea because um, there's some pretty awesome states, including North Carolina or South Carolina. Yeah, that very true. Are uh, have incredibly competent and intelligent you know workforces. Uh, the facilities are great. Taxes are low. Weather is mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, you have coastline. But hey, whatever. If if they're leaving California and, and uh, you know we can have some regulatory changes, I think that's just all the better. Yeah, well, and Oracle moved too, um, so it's not just Tesla. There's been a couple other big companies who basically said, "Okay, time to go." And I think this will be one of the real tests for California is that they've so. I mean, they're one of the most heavily indebted sub-sovereign units in the world um they carry more debt than many countries um just by sheer size uh on a per capita basis and on a total basis and so what are they going to do when you basically have your hubs for commerce leave uh i mean you can only rely on on the film industry for so long and even that is slowly uh not disappearing but uh, I mean, you mentioned in in your preamble for the show being in Toronto, uh, so many TV shows, popular TV shows that are set in New York for the show, like Suits, is actually filmed in downtown Toronto. Uh, and so you're starting to see film crews move away from California as well. And so for me, this is just like a ticking time bomb of how long California can keep this up. Well, speaking and, of taking time bombs, David, and speaking of movies, you have uh, created the perfect segue to our next clip. Ooh. Now, this is Tom Cruise on the movie set. <laughs> this Let's is hear it. COVID rant. Um, I hope, hopefully the sound will go through. Uh, I might have to, you know, sweeten it in post, but here is a, the context is this is Tom Cruise on a movie set somewhere, I think, for the new Mission Impossible movie. And uh, he is ranting at people who've broken some kind of restrictions that they've had on set. You're back here in Hollywood making movies right now because of us. Because they believe in us and what we're doing. I'm on the phone with every studio at night. Insurance companies. Producers. And they're looking at us and using us to make their movies. We are creating thousands of jobs, you I don't ever want to see it again. Ever. And if you don't do it, you're fired. And I see you do it again, you're gone. And anyone on this crew does it. That's it. And you too. And you too. And you. Don't you ever do it again. That's it! No apologies. You can tell it to the people that are losing their f***ing because our industry is shut down. It's not going to put food on their table or pay for their college education. That's what I sleep with every night. edited on that one that was great whoa whoa <laughs> yeah i mean what's your take on this so uh, had you heard the whole thing before I, I i saw the headlines i think i had heard like 
10 seconds of it. I haven't, I hadn't heard the, the whole thing. Um, I mean, I actually think, so a lot of people will listen to that and go, oh, Hollywood celebrity losing it, blah, blah, blah. But he seems to really care about the fact that if there's like an outbreak on set and they got to shut production down, it's not him. I mean, yeah, he obviously probably wants to work, but it's not him who really suffers. It's the guy behind the camera, the sound editor, the the people who do post-production, all of those people who, as he said, are losing their homes who can't pay for their kids university or everything else. So um, I don't know if I have a very good opinion of Tom Cruise in general, uh, but when I hear that, I'm like, Oh, okay. He seems like someone who maybe actually cares about the other pieces that go into making his movies. Maybe, maybe he was just covering his own, um his own self-interest i'm not sure but at least from what i could hear that sounded that sounded to me like someone who genuinely cared about uh the circumstances of all the other people who who put a movie together well he mentioned you know the the industry this industry you know and i <laughs> and um I, I did do a little bit of research because i really like tom cruise um i basically like every single movie he's ever been in I think he's a great actor he was in the Days of Thunder movie, which is like one of my favorite of all time. That actually put NASCAR on the on the big screen. Actually, real real quick on that note, I was incredibly disappointed when they postponed the release of Top Gun Two. That is a movie. If you're listening right now, go to YouTube, look up the trailer for Top Gun Two. If that trailer doesn't want to make you put a leather jacket on. And getting a fighter jet, I don't know what you, I don't know what motivates you in life because that movie is going to be amazing. Um, I, I don't know if you could tell that I'm excited about that movie, um, but yeah, on the on the Tom Cruise note, I am very pumped for when that does come out, but also disappointed that it took uh, that that it's taking so long because the movie's ready. They just don't want to release it yet until people can go back to the movie theater. Yeah. And and we can talk about that a little bit in the consumer corner uh, with streaming yeah. and stuff. But Tom Cruise is definitely, you know, he's a Hollywood golden boy. You know, he's, mm -hmm. um, I think, one of the latest movies. He is, his movies have grossed over $10 billion around the world. That's incredible. And he's obviously one of the most well-known actors, one of the, you know, he's a guy that you put into a movie. It's usually going to get pretty good views. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff in the personal life that's a bit strange, but that's Hollywood for you. What do you expect? Yeah. Living in California. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, with this clip, you know, there are two ways to look at it. There's a, this is, you know, the, uh, the guy who is moralizing about COVID restrictions, but I think you're right. He's got a lot in, on the line for these movies. And if he has another movie that's delayed, if this entire movie gets shut down, then you have all the vendors that aren't paid. You have all the people that they've used in the past as cinematographers and people on set for design. Like, all these people mm -hmm. are out of work. There aren't many movies that are being filmed right now. Uh, there are only a few. I think there's only been one that has been released since they've had uh, larger restrictions in place in California. Uh, the movie Songbird, the Michael Bay movie about... Uh, COVID-23 and the future lockdown of humanity. <laughs> That's another thing. Um, so Oof. yeah, there's that. And then I think the huge financial stake, I have no doubt that Cruz probably gets a cut of many of the, the profits of some of these movies nowadays. He's probably got yeah. top tier lawyers that have made sure he's got good contracts. So my understanding of how these contracts work, so there's like an upfront salary, but where these guys really make their money is box office ticket revenue and then royalties on the film afterwards. Yeah. So that's how like, that's like a, how, how a guy like Macaulay Culkin can basically shut it down after a successful movie series and make a living for the rest Just of his cash life. In. Well, the, the amount of times that home alone plays on TV, you know, I would assume he's getting a cut of that. You know, he some, pe some oh, people yeah. don't always have those great, uh, business relationships. I know Dave Chappelle, the comedian. Yeah, he for, he for sold Cha his rights to for that, Chappelle show. He didn't have his rights, and then basically any movie, any money that that it's being made from syndication or Netflix or whatever, he wasn't getting a cut of that. Um, so all that stuff is really interesting, David. I think that was an interesting uh, 
good segue and a good way to talk about the restrictions and not have to talk about the Carol Baskins virus too much. Mm -hmm. uh, but at least we can talk about sort of the, the impact on the film industry and everything else. Uh, just the last, I guess, couple of minutes here, David, let's go to the consumer corner. Uh, so we did mention, uh, you mentioned a few shows uh, mm -hmm. to recommend. What did you get? You had Seinfeld. Um, oh, I mean, if you want to, so if you want to watch a good movie uh, and, and, that dives into the topic of the death penalty. I, I highly recommend Just Mercy. It features Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx. Incredible film. Um, watched that last night, and wow, um, is that ever good? Um, I'm also getting into. I so I watched The Young Pope, and now I'm watching of course The New you did. Pope, which is the second season of that, and it is one of my. It's weird. It gets weird. Well, it's, it's, one of my it's one of the hardest shows to follow, and I think if you fall asleep for about 0.3 seconds, you, you miss half the show. <laughs> yeah, you'll miss like one pan of the camera, which will feature one minute detail, which changes the story entirely. But anyway, also another good show. Um, so for those looking for things to watch over the holidays, um, I've watched pretty much everything on Netflix, so you feel free to tweet at me asking for more suggestions, because... Uh, we really haven't done that much over the past nine months other than watch Netflix and Crave uh, for the Canadians and HBO and uh, Prime TV and Apple TV and yeah. Disney Plus. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think we mentioned um, HBO Max last week, uh, which yep. is still a great product, um, still going really well. I will make a different recommendation, and it's something that I think we'll be talking about more in the future, David, and that is video games. Uh, video yep. games, huge industry, huge sector. Uh, a lot of people play video games, and they're actually impacted by regulations, and there's a lot of different things that we can talk about there, uh, specifically when it comes to streaming and copyright and all of that, uh, for those of you who might use Twitch. I'm going to recommend a game that I've been playing for a while, uh, Red Dead Redemption 2. This is a, a sh basically, I, I'm playing it here on the Xbox, but it's set in the Old West and uh, you're kind of following an outlaw and his gang. And um, it's essentially the same people who made Grand Theft Auto V, Rockstar. Oh, great game. Those guys are definitely milking that game. Um, <laughs> they've definitely extended the life of Grand Theft Auto V. But for, for people who are not gamers, it's really hard to explain how creative and how immersive games like the one you just mentioned and grand theft auto are because they, you, there's, there's just so much it's like an alternative universe um that you get to navigate through and in many instances the, the, it's just endless yeah um, and there's there's so do. much that's happening in many of these games red dead has this i think they call it open sandbox where you can kind of walk around and you have various missions so i've been playing this really since before my daughter was born so over a year and I'm I'm doing all the side missions. I'm collecting all the fish. I'm hunting. I'm doing you know finding all the gold bars. I'm trying to beat a game 100% because I'm not very good at that. I'm not a video gamer, ladies and gentlemen. I'm really not. I'm fairly bad at it, and I don't do much because I work and write and take care of children and uh, do many other things. But whenever I'm able to play, uh, that's very fun and good. Uh, there's a lot of video game industry news and stuff that's happening that is is actually really interesting uh, especially when it comes to gambling online and loot boxes uh, there's a lot of that stuff that I, I think we'll we'll probably talk about at some point in the future David uh, but overall I think it was a great program yeah another great show again thank you for uh, tuning in if you are listening on the radio um, as Yael said in the lead up to the show consumerchoiceradio.com where you can see all of our past episodes. And again, thank you to our guest, Jeff, for joining us. And that does it for Consumer Choice Radio here on The Big Talker, 106.7 FM. Thank you for joining us for the hour and for all the other past shows and archives. Check out Consumer Choice Radio for much more. And as always, if you are listening online through your favorite podcast app, we appreciate that. Be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast uh, and follow us on Twitter at Consumer C Radio. Uh, thanks again.
Hallelujah. Glory. 